Support for this podcast is provided by Smart Recruiters. Smart Recruiters offer an enterprise-grade talent acquisition suite designed for hiring success. Future-proof your talent acquisition with a modern enterprise platform with everything you need to attract, select and hire the best talent. Over 4,000 leading brands like Bosch, IKEA, LinkedIn and Visa trust Smart Recruiters to deliver hiring success with them on a global scale. Visit smartrecruiters.com to take the first step on the path to hiring success. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 300 of the Recruiting Future podcast. A few months ago, the podcast passed 1 million downloads, and it feels fantastic to get to this next milestone of 300 episodes. A big thank you to everyone for all the support you give me, whether that's through listening, sponsoring, or appearing on the show. This podcast would not exist without you, and I'm incredibly grateful. Unlike the 100th episode where I published a white paper, or the 200th episode which I recorded live at Wreckfest, I'm not doing anything special to mark this triple century. Instead, I'm focused on continuing to create valuable content, as well as shaping my plans to take the show to 400 episodes and beyond. I'll be sharing more details on those plans in the coming weeks. With the pandemic shaping the content of the last 52 episodes of the show, it seems very appropriate in this episode to talk to Nicola McQueen, the CEO of NHS Professionals. NHS Professionals is owned by the Department of Health in the UK and is responsible for providing the NHS with a flexible workforce of doctors and nurses. This really is the front line of recruiting during the pandemic. And I'm grateful to Nicola for sharing the story, as well as some lessons learned around rapid change and agile workforce deployment that all employers can learn from. Hi, Nicola, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? I can indeed. So Nicola McQueen, I'm currently the Chief Executive of NHS Professionals, but spent the last 20 years in workforce and recruitment. So delighted to be talking to you about what we've been doing across the NHS, Matt, um, in the last few months that's been quite unprecedented. Um, But NHS Professionals is a workforce solutions provider. Um, It's in the NHS, it's owned by the Department of Health and Social Care, Um, And by the largest part of our business, we will effectively manage the bank supply of hospitals. So in simple terms, that's really managing all of the unfilled shifts within a roster. Um, And we do that through managing a really big 130,000 plus um, flexible worker pool. Um, And that's across the whole of England. Um, We also do a whole host of things around international recruitment, um, gateway um, paths. So those that are perhaps training to come into the NHS. Um, We've got a doctor's business that just does doctor's recruitment. We do permanent recruitment. Um, So all the things that your listeners would typically recognize from a big staff in business. 
Fantastic stuff. And we'll dive much more into that in a second. But before we do, though, tell us how you got to do what you do now. So very interestingly, because I spent 17 years in Capita, running a whole variety of their staffing and HR businesses. Um, just a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to take some of the specialist staffing businesses out of Capita um, into their own private entity. And one of those businesses was a healthcare business. Um, and that was my first insight to healthcare recruitment. Um, so when the NHS said, would you consider coming and working with us? It was actually um, a really interesting challenge because I think for me, particularly being in workforce for 20 years, there's no bigger challenge than having the right amount of doctors and nurses in the NHS. What I didn't know back then was that six months into my tenure as chief exec, that we would be facing a global pandemic, um, which has put the the bar much higher on my challenge. But um, that was how I came to work for the NHS. So I think you've been in your post for a year this week and the pandemic really started halfway through that. Talk us through a little bit more in terms of how the pandemic has impacted your NHS trust clients, your bank members, um, your team and you personally. Like for any business, this was an overnight shift of focus for us. Um, ours probably just started ahead of everybody else's. So we started our planning um, in January. Um, but I'll never forget sort of the big turning point for us where we knew this was real and this was going to be big. And that was um, early in March when we was at the Chief Nurse Summit. And this is Ruth May, the, the, the Chief Nurse of England, holds a summit every year to talk about what's new in healthcare and what's coming over the horizon. Well, of course, at that point, the entire agenda was COVID related. And it was sort of those two days that really spelt out the fact that this was going to be a dramatic change for the business. So we very much at that point paused all activity um, that was business as usual. And our big priority was as many cleared professionals ready and able to support at the front line as possible. That was our that was our one challenge. Um, so everything changed Matt, whether it that be for our trusts who were desperately trying to think about how they have, you know, allow capacity in their um, ICUs, how they make sure that they close down some of their normal day to day services to to allow for the COVID patients to arrive. So everything changed for them. So so we had to support all of the trusts mobilizing that change in change in effort. We also had to think about how we could register and clear more people to work on the front line. So typically in our environment, an onboarding process for a professional, a nurse or a doctor will take about three to four weeks. We had to make sure that we could turn that process around in 24 hours. And that was really significant change because we were having to look at the entire process end to end and decide what could um, and couldn't survive. Um, so everything changed for our teams. Um, we had we were 850 staff that work in NHS professionals, and we pretty much turned the entire business into a clearing house for those early weeks. Um, so for, for all of our doctors and nurses, they were obviously having to think about what that meant to them. So, you know, how to access the relevant PPE and the training required. 
um, and how to access their hospitals through different routes and, and so on. So everything changed. It must have been the, the craziest time. Tell us a little bit more about how the how the recruitment services changed, how the process changed. Was there a particular technology that you were using? How were you able to sort of change things that that quickly and what, what had to happen? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of technology, we had to effectively allow people to self-serve as much as possible. So um, we did that through our existing technology, actually. But then we added new technology into our vetting process. So one of those things was video technology to do ID checking um, and do some of the clinical interviews in a, in a very short space of time. Um, so it was about making sure that we could um, re-engineer some of our workflows in our current recruitment database and our onboarding systems, but then insert new pieces of technology to enable us to, to get through the processes much quicker. And of course, for us, a few weeks into these changing processes, that's when the national lockdown set in. So we had designed a process that you know was well supported through our service centres only to two weeks later or three weeks later, have to turn that into a complete remote solution. So we had all 850 of our staff, of which about 400 of them are, are based in a head office, all into remote locations. So that that meant quite a bit of system and, and access change as well. It obviously sounds like a, it was an incredibly in, intense time. Lots of lots of changes, you know, adapting to things as they were going on, and 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 really being at the front line from a recruitment perspective in this international emergency. How did you manage to motivate your your team through that period of intense, very rapid change? Motivation of the team just was was the last thing we had to, to worry about, actually. Um, and in all other tran- you know, transformational programs or change programs, that's probably right top of the list. But it, this was so crystal clear on what our challenge was. And we had our why. You know, uh, we all, you know, the whole country was turning to how can we support, you know, the NHS. So we didn't have an issue in staff motivation one bit. In fact, the team rallied. Um, and you know, efforts and undiscret- you know, indiscretional effort went absolutely through the roof. And I think that's down to this single mission of support the NHS. Let's not, you know, be be overwhelmed. We, our teams were also supporting all of the recruitment that was going on in the new Nightingales, um, the Nightingale hospitals as, as the field hospitals arose. So again, hugely motivating for the team to feel like they're doing something that was making a difference. Um, we also run a huge um, recruitment advertising campaign. We, we run a campaign called Stand Up, Step Forward and Save Lives. Um, and it was a really powerful video that, that went across um, all of the traditional um, television channels and the radio stations. Um, and that drew in 60,000 new professionals that wanted to work and support the front line. So the team didn't have a minute to think about not being busy. Um, it was just an incredible effort with an incredible amount of, of work to, to be done in just a few weeks. W- what was really interesting, though, is that after this initial surge of, you know, activity, lots of applications, lots of mobilization of, of workforce to front lines. Um, demand actually rejected considerably. So if you think about hospitals 
running all of their services in full to literally within a few not a few weeks switching all of you know the majority of their services that weren't a and e related or, or or covid or icu related down demand for nurses and professionals actually went backwards so we found ourselves in a situation where our call center was taking on average about 1200 calls a day pre-pandemic to about 12000 a day the majority of those calls were those trying to get access to work. So healthcare professionals calling in to say, where can we go? Where can we support? And, and our team going, we don't need you right now. Um, so that was a really interesting, that was the bit where we had to step in and motivate the staff because we, we'd, we'd done this huge amount of activity to bring as many people forward to step up, save lives, to then not actually have the opportunity to utilise them all. So, so that was a bit of a step change in how we wanted to, to, to motivate our teams and all the professionals. Who knows exactly what's going to happen, but we, we seem to be moving into another phase as we're recording this. Infections seem to be on the on the rise again. So obviously there's a huge challenge that's, that's still still remaining. And as you said, you've you've got thousands of new candidates that you're dealing with. What are you doing to sort of keep those people in, in, engaged in the in the longer term? Really, really great point. So one of the biggest things that we needed to make sure that we we did was have the best access to work for these professionals. So as we start to switch services back on across the NHS, of course, we're deploying all of these fantastic healthcare workers into frontline roles and support roles. Um, We're also supporting the Test and Trace programme. That saw us recruit 10,000 people within just three weeks to that programme. And they play the role of clinical tracing. So they're the Um, people that would contact somebody that had received a positive COVID test and help them trace out where they'd been over the few days that they may have um, been infected but not known about it um, and help to identify those contacts that we might need to ask to isolate. So we've got a huge amount of our clinicians that have stepped up and stepped forward, particularly those that have returned to the NHS. They might have previously retired and they've come back to support we've got a lot of those people deployed onto a program such as test and trace Um, and there's loads of things coming downstream so we've obviously got a national vaccine program that we all need to be thinking about now particularly around you know rolling out flu jabs and any covid vaccine as that becomes available there's going to be lots and lots of catch-up now so health assessments is a good example i think there's in the region of you know 30 40,000 health assessments that will need to be caught up in a rapid amount of time um, so we can utilize this workforce so one of the big things for us and for the nhs is trying to change the narrative now um, instead of saying step up step forward save lives we're saying stay and save lives let let's make this workforce fit for the future let's make it enduring um, and let's utilise the workforce in perhaps different ways that we perhaps wouldn't have considered pre-pandemic. So a good example being that all of our test and trace clinicians are all home-based and on, on audio. Um, so what else can we do, particularly in catch-up of health assessments and so on, that we can turn into, you know, working from home, video platform-enabled um, consultations? So it's endless. We, you know, we, we have got so much still to do. 
but we've got you know a very willing and ready workforce that we will continue to motivate through you know the best access to work essentially there are lots of employers who are having to make changes to their recruitment processes and the way their recruitment teams their recruitment teams work and that that's going to be an ongoing process for, for a number of months if not if not years what advice would you share with organizations going through those types of changes from the lessons that you've learned in the last few months that's a great question but I think for me be bold um, because we've seen change that you know it, it it's a crisis like this that's allowed us to implement huge change quickly um, so be bold and make big changes and I'll give you an example of that that We've always run um, a high-touch call centre to deal with all of our clinicians. But actually, when we got incredibly busy and, you know, the call volumes went up dramatically, we we implemented web chat. And lots of people said, oh, we've thought about that before. And, you know, this workforce just won't respond well to web chat. But we was bold and we said, no, we're going to implement it and we're going to force a lot of our traffic through web chat. And they took to it like a duck to water, like, you know, lots of us perhaps would have thought, but but some in the, in the healthcare sector didn't. Um, and we were bold to do that, and it paid dividends. So for for us at NHSP and and you know how we take this into our new future is we're going to continue to be bold, um, and we're going to continue to sort of push the boundaries on technology innovation because if we're in a secondary peak in a couple of months' time, we want to be ready for it. But even if we're not, we can increase our capacity. That to what we can do in the future. So be bold. Um, you know, people are incredibly tolerant of organisations going through change. And we certainly felt that through the pandemic. So final question, what's next? What do the next 12 months hold for NHS professionals? I mean, it's really difficult to predict the next few months, let alone the next 12 months. Um, but for us, what we do absolutely know is that we've got to continue to be agile and responsive to the NHS needs as they change. Now, we've all started doing lots of work around, you know, reasonable worst case scenarios for secondary peaks. So we've thought very long and hard about, you know, what we would do this time round in deployment of staff, mobilising for field hospitals. So lots and lots of thinking gone into what we might want to do. Um, in the in the event of a secondary peak, that said, so much of that can be taken into our future for, for, for agile workforce deployment. I think what's different in our strategy this side of COVID versus previous is that we're going to be looking at how can we support the wider integrated care systems. So not just an NHS hospital as such. Let's think much bigger and wider about how we deploy our healthcare professionals across the care setting. We're going to need far more people into social care and into primary care settings. So we're going to think about how we can enact that mobilisation. And that's going to be different for us. Um, We're also going to be um, switching back on all of the international recruitment channels. Um, You would, as you would expect, international um, travel was um, was broadly shut down during during that initial COVID period. So we're going to be investing lots of time, energy, and efforts into building that pipeline back up and utilising these brand new nurses coming into the NHS to increase the capacity. 
Um, We've got lots and lots of ideas about how we can convert from education into nursing. So lots of pathways and gateway programs that we're going to be launching. And that's going to be all over the next 12 months. And we are going to continue to invest in our technology. Um, So all of the things that we've found comfort in plugging in to utilize in time of need, we will think about making sure that that becomes part of our enduring technology proposition. So lots of work on on that roadmap and 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 that transformation program itself will will dominate quite a bit of our time over the coming months. Nicola, thank you very much for joining me. It was lovely talking to you, Matt, and just having the opportunity to sort of reflect on all that's been going on over the last few months. So thank you. My thanks to Nicola McQueen. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts on Spotify or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search through all the past episodes at www.recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Thank you.